McDonald, James O'Keefe, and Sheriff David Clark at Freedom Summit 2018. Get your tickets at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, so uh, everything is going as planned economically, according to Peter Navarro, one of President Trump's top trade advisors. Uh, I think Caterpillar would disagree with him after they had their largest, uh, the largest drop in their stock price since 2011 yesterday, which uh, led the sell-off yesterday. Caterpillar talking about uh, higher cost of doing business uh, because of the tariffs. But Peter Navarro says, uh, nope, nope, trade policy is right where it needs to be. And that 10 percent uh, middle income tax cut that's coming. Uh, well, that, that uh, is uh, the last piece of this puzzle for sustained growth. He's targeting the middle class 10 percent, which is, I think, a great idea. One of the beauties of the Trump economy is the high levels of investment we're seeing from the tax cut and from the tariffs investments coming on shore. Now what does that do? What that what that does is it increases our productivity and when you get increased productivity your real wages grow up go up. So we're seeing wage growth with that investment and it's hitting on all cylinders. If the economy is so strong and I think it really is by every measure and the president's talking about more tax cuts do we run the risk of even worsening the deficit here? The best way to close a deficit is to add another point of growth. Well, that's one way to do it. The other way is to restrain spending, which is part of it. Peter Navarro has a is very consistent in getting half the story correct oh, really? uh, on both uh, reducing deficits as well as uh, sustaining economic growth. And I continue to reject his notion that is currently being subscribed to until we get to Larry Kudlow's lower tax, meaning lower tariff environment, that uh, there is a case to be made that greater abundance springs from government-contrived scarcities. That's what tariffs do. You tax something, you get less of it. It's government-directed scarcity. So conservatives make the point, which is the proper one, that the government doesn't create jobs. Government is not a growth, uh, a, a, a driver of growth. It is not an economic engine. It is a means of transferring wealth not creating it. Peter Navarro thinks the government is the means of creating wealth and that uh, industrial policymakers know just how to, through tax policy, incentivize private investment to create greater abundance than would the market in a regime of free exchange of goods and services. He's wrong. He's always been wrong. That philosophy has always been wrong. It continues to be wrong. And the only hope is that at some point, Trump, I think, will have enough leverage or China will have had enough of this, in particular China, but all of our trading partners, to uh, have Larry Kudlow enter stage right and negotiate a truly lower tax international trading protocol, meaning lowering tariffs across the board. If that doesn't happen then we're inhibiting our own growth, in my estimation. But I'm not the chief economist for CNN. Stephen Moore is. So let's get his opinion. Stephen Moore joins us now. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Appreciate it. Hi, hi uh, Dan. By the way, you don't need me. I mean, geez, oh. you, just, you just gave a trees on economics that was uh, quite good. I'm going to give you an A this morning. All right, thank you very wow. much. Uh, if you want, if people, if people want more 
How about this? They, of course, can read my new book, which comes out on Monday. Thank right. you for mentioning it, Trumponomics with Trumponomics. Laffer. But anyway, no, you, right. you did a great job of explaining why the tariffs do not work. Um, I don't have a huge problem with these. T- I don't actually have a problem with the tariffs that Trump is putting on, on China. I think that uh, China is a bad actor. I think they, that they are um, they are not playing by the rules. I think that they are not a friend and an ally. They are uh, an adversary. Uh, and in some ways an enemy when you look at the way that they're building up their military in a very aggressive way. Uh, so, you know, what, the, the idea of using these tariffs as a club, uh, and Trump said this, by the way, at the Rose Garden ceremony that I was at when he announced the uh, Canada-Mexico deal, that I use tariffs as a club and a negotiating tactic to get these countries to uh, play by the rules. And, and in some ways that has worked. Now, that being said, just so you think that I'm not becoming some kind of a Peter Navarro acolyte, yes. um, it is true that the the steel tariffs, the problem I have with the steel tariffs is the one you just mentioned with Caterpillar. This probably costs the economy more jobs than it gains, um, especially factory blue-collar jobs. I mean, those people who are losing their jobs, who, who you know, if Caterpillar has to move facilities out because steel is so expensive here, there's going to be more lost jobs in blue-collar America from the steel tariffs, then, then there will be job gains. And so it's just a self-defeating policy, and I think you had it exactly right there. You know, we want to make our steel as cheap as possible, so every industry that uses steel has an advantage. And let me give you one example of this. You know, in the, you know I wrote my previous book was about the energy revolution, the shale oil and gas revolution. Well, that wasn't just about creating jobs in the, in the oil and gas industry, which it has in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands, but it's also made all of American industries, companies like Caterpillar, more uh, competitive in global markets because we now have cheaper oil and gas than any other country does. And that makes, you know, that gives an advantage. So, how is it by making our steel more expensive, we're going to have a competitive advantage? You, you see the point I'm making? I mean, we totally. want to make the inputs less expensive, not more expensive, and the steel tariffs do just the opposite. And that's and that's why you saw Caterpillar uh, take a hammering yesterday, despite uh, good earnings reports, is because the cost of doing business is increasing artificially. Well, look, I mean, the interesting thing about yesterday's wild ride on the stock market, I mean, it was, what, down 550 points, I some something like at 11 o'clock in this morning, uh, in the morning. And then uh, by 2 o'clock, it it had regained like 400 points. So it was a wild swing. Um, But the thing, you know, people kept asking, why is the stock market crashing this morning? And, you know, Caterpillar, I think, had something to do with it. But the weird thing is, if you look at corporate profits right now, they're very high. I mean, the corporate profit reports that are coming in have been very positive. So, you know, my... My one piece of stock advice, and I'm not never take Steve Moore's advice, you know, on buying any particular stock. But I love the idea of buying these dips. Every time you see a 400, 500 point dip in the stock market, that's the time to get in, you know, because you you get that you get these stocks at these reduced prices, especially when the profits are good. But look, the fundamentals of the economy are strong. And I'm going to say one other thing, if I may, about Peter Navarro. Mm-hmm. I'm going to defend Peter for a minute. And he's become a friend of mine. I don't. There's a lot of things I strongly disagree with Peter about, but we work together on the Trump campaign, and you know we duked it out sometimes, but always in a friendly manner, and we didn't leak things about each other in, in the press. But the one thing that Peter did have right, and I want your guys, I want Amy, I want Amy's input on this one. Oh. I think Peter had the right call on China. I mean, China, he wrote this book a number of years ago called Death by China, and he basically 
called them out and he said, look, this is a country that we, we've been coddling for 30 years and, you know, they're out to get us. Right, Amy? Yeah, they are. That's true. They've been taking advantage of us. But I just want to know, when do you think the tariff war is going to end? How long <laughs> well, is this going to take to flush itself I, I out? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. Look, I feel, let me put it like this. I feel a lot better where Trump is today than six months or a year ago, where I was terrified we were going to have an all-out global trade war because Trump was just on the warpath on these tariffs. You know, it's, but look, look where we are today. We've got a, a you know good deal cemented in place, not a great deal, but a good deal with uh, Mexico and, and Canada that will solidify the you know the North America as a free trade zone for at least another six years. That's a very positive thing, especially given the threat that we would have an all-out you know, blow up of, uh, of, of NAFTA. Uh, we are making really good progress with the Europeans. They're starting to make some concessions because the Germans can't live with these auto tariffs. Um, and now it comes down to China. And I think Trump's in a better position in terms of negotiating with China now. And the reason for that is that he's now he's not fighting his allies any longer. We're basically we've basically got a lot of these other countries, you know, back in the fold. And so it. The reason I can't answer your question about China and the trade war is because it's all on Beijing's court. It's, it depends on President, what President Xi wants to do. Because I, I've said this many times in the show, I'll say it again. Donald Trump is not going to back off here. He's not. He's not going to, uh, you know, somehow capitulate to China. China's going to have to make some real concessions here. And by the way, the concessions that Trump wants from China are all very reasonable. They're actually even in China's own self-interest. And if they're not going to do it, then then this trade war is going to end, is going to last a while. Uh, speaking of allies, how about his uh, nominee and thus appointment to head the Fed? That would be Jerome Powell, who he's been uh, publicly ridiculing yeah. for increasing interest yeah. rates. Now, Paul Volcker made this point uh, uh, yesterday on CNBC, like the the idea that. Uh, that Trump is the first president to take out publicly after the Fed chairman is absurd. People don't know their history. James Baker uh, at the behest of Reagan took after Volcker. So it happens, but it's happened before. But the so it's, it's less about that dynamic that the D.C. press corps obsesses about and the question of the policymaking and whether the Fed is more to any discernible strategy with respect to monetary policy or whether Trump is right. Your take. Well, look, my view is that um, the Fed's going to do what it's going to do. I do think that the markets kind of overreact to Fed interest rate changes because I think in the, in the, in the long term they don't really make that much of, of, a, of a difference. I mean, if the Fed raises rates by a quarter point or doesn't raise them by a quarter point, you know, what tends to happen is every time the Fed raises rates, the stock market goes through you know, uh, conniptions, and then it starts to fall. And then you look three weeks later, and it's right back where it was. That being said, what bothers me about the Fed and the, the, the decision they made a couple of weeks ago that caused that 1,200-point decline in stocks wasn't the fact that they were going to raise rates, that they raised rates now, which probably was appropriate, but they were, they're targeting now like a 3.5% interest rate. You know, they're going to keep raising and raising and raising. And I think Trump's point, which I think is valid, is, wait a minute, where's the inflation in the economy? Why are you taking this punch ball away from this party when it's really getting going if there's no signs of inflation? And if you look at commodity prices, um, commodity prices, which I think are the best, uh, you know, the old Volcker rule, because Volcker was a fantastic Fed chairman. He's the one who killed inflation in the 80s with Reagan. Uh, the Volcker rule was keep an eye on, uh, on, the, on the commodities, you know, 
gold and silver and wheat and cotton and copper and things like that. And and when you keep when you look at those commodities, which you know are the same over time, they don't change in quality. Um, those have been actually flat or falling in price. And so my my worry is that the Fed is has been infiltrated with all of these Keynesian. Phillips curve people, a person who believes in the Phillips curve believes that more output and more people working leads to higher inflation. And we know that's not the case. More people working and more output means more production, and more production means prices fall. They don't rise. So that, I think, is the concern that Trump has, and I think it's a legitimate concern. The problem is he's the one who pointed Jerome Powell, and now he's complaining about it. He is Steve Moore. The book, the new book, comes out Monday. Trumponomics. Pick it up. Wall Street Journal columnist, chief economist for CNN. Steve, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. Okay, guys. Have a great week. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.